Hello everyone. Thank you for joining me around the fireside tonight. My name is Joe, and I'm here to tell you a story. A story of longships and spears. A story of thralls and kings. A story of Thor and Odin and going a Viking. A story of Iceland and Norway. Presenting part one of Viking Tales, written by Jenny Hall, published in 1902. This story is of particular interest to me, as I am of Norwegian descent. I don't actually know a huge amount about that side of my family, and I know even less about the folklore and mythology and history of that area. I, of course, know about Vikings and the harrying of the coasts and the brave voyaging across the sea, and have a cursory knowledge of Norse mythology, but that's pretty much where my familiarity ends. So this was highly interesting to me on a personal level to read. I sincerely hope you enjoy it as much as I do. If you do, please let me know by leaving a comment, a like or review and subscribing to the show. It really does mean the world. Now please, get comfortable, let go of the daylight and join me for our story. Viking Tales by Jenny Hall What the sagas were Iceland is a little country far north in the cold sea. Men found it and went there to live more than a thousand years ago. During the warm season, they used to fish and make fish oil and hunt seabirds and gather feathers and tend their sheep and make hay. But the winters were long and dark and cold. Men and women and children stayed in the house and carded and spun and wove and knit. The whole family sat for hours around the fire in the middle of the room. That fire gave the only light. Shadows flitted in the dark corners. Smoke curled along the high beams in the ceiling. The children sat on the dirt floor close to the fire. The grown people were on a long, narrow bench that they had pulled up to the light and warmth. Everybody's hands were busy with wool. The work left their minds free to think and their lips to talk. What was there to talk about? The summer's fishing, the killing of a fox, a voyage to Norway. But the people grew tired of this little gossip. Fathers looked at their children and thought, They are not learning much. What will make them brave and wise? What will teach them to love their country in old Norway? Will not the stories of battles, of brave deeds, of mighty men do this? So as the family worked in the red firelight, the father told of the kings of Norway, of long voyages to strange lands, of good fights. And in farmhouses all through Iceland, these old tales were told over and over until everybody knew them and loved them. Some men could sing and play the harp. This made the stories all the more interesting. People call such men skalds and called their songs sagas. 
every midsummer there was a great meeting. Men from all over Iceland came to it and made laws. During the day, there were rest times, when no business was going on. Then some scald would take his harp and walk to a large stone or a knoll and stand on it and begin a song of some brave deed of an old Norse hero. At the first sound of the harp and the voice, men came running from all directions, crying out, The Scald! The Scald! A Saga! They stood about for hours and listened. They shouted applause. When the Scald was tired, some other men would come up from the crowd and sing or, or tell a story. As the scald stepped down from his high position, some rich man would rush up to him and say, Come and spend next winter at my house. Our ears are thirsty for song. So the best scalds travelled much and visited many people. Their songs made them welcome everywhere. They were always honoured with good seats at a feast. They were given many rich gifts. Even the king of Norway would sometimes send across the water to Iceland, saying to some famous scald, Come and visit me. You shall not go away empty-handed. Men say that the sweetest songs are in Iceland. I wish to hear them. These tales were not written. Few men wrote or read in those days. Scalds learned songs from hearing them sung. At last, people began to write more easily. Then they said, These stories are very precious. We must write them down to save them from being forgotten. After that, many men in Iceland spent their winters in writing books. They wrote on sheepskin. Vellum, we call it. Many of these old vellum books have been saved for hundreds of years and are now in museums in Norway. Some leaves are lost, some are torn, all are yellow and crumpled but they are precious. They tell us all that we know about that olden time. They are the very words that the men of Iceland wrote so long ago. Stories of kings and of battles and of ship sailing. Some of those stories I have told in this book. Part 1 In Norway The baby. King Halfdan lived in Norway long ago. One morning, his queen said to him, I had a strange dream last night. I thought that I stood in the grass before my bower. I pulled a thorn from my dress. As I held it in my fingers, it grew into a tall tree. The trunk was thick and red as blood but the lower limbs were fair and green, and the highest ones were white. I thought that the branches of this great tree spread so far that they covered all of Norway and even more. A strange dream, said King Halfdan. Dreams are the messengers of the gods. I wonder what they would tell us. And he stroked his beard in thought. Some time after that, a serving woman came into the feast hall where King Halfdan was. She carried a little white bundle in her arms. My lord, she said, 
a little son is just born to you. Ha! cried the king, and he jumped up from the high seat and hastened forward until he stood before the woman. Show him to me, he shouted, and there was joy in his voice. The serving woman put down her bundle on the ground and turned back the cloth. There was a little naked baby. The king looked at it carefully. It is a goodly youngster, he said, and smiled. Bring Ivar and Thorstein. They were captains of the king's soldiers. Soon they came. Stand as witnesses, Halfton said. Then he lifted the baby in his arms, while the old serving woman brought a silver bowl of water. The king dipped his hand into it and sprinkled the baby, saying, I own this baby for my son. He shall be called Harold. My naming gift to him is ten pounds of gold. Then the woman carried the baby back to the queen's room. My lord owns him for his son, she said, and no wonder, he's perfect in every limb. The queen looked at him and smiled and remembered her dream and thought, That great tree, can it be this little baby of mine? The Tooth Thrall When Harold was seven months old, he cut his first tooth. Then his father said, all the young of my herds, lambs and calves and colts that have been born since this baby was born, I this day give to him. I also give to him this thrall, Olaf. These are my tooth gifts to my son. The boy grew fast, for as soon as he could walk about, he was out of doors most of the time. He ran in the woods and climbed the hills and waded in the creek. He was much with his tooth thrall, for the king had said to Olaf, Be ever at his call. Now this Olaf was full of stories, and Harold liked to hear them. Come out to Aegis Rock, Olaf, and tell me stories, he said almost every day. So they started off across the hills. The man wore a long, loose coat of white wool, belted at the waist with a strap. He had on coarse shoes and leather leggings. Around his neck was an iron collar welded together so it could not come off. On it were strange marks called runes that said, Olaf, Thrall of Halfden. But Harold's clothes were happy. A cape of grey velvet hung from his shoulders. It was fastened over his breast with great gold buckles. When it waved in the wind, a scarlet lining flashed out, and the bottom of a little scarlet jacket showed. His feet and legs were covered with grey woolen tights. Gold lacings wound around his legs from his shoes to his knees. A band of gold held down his long, yellow hair. It was a wild country that these two were walking over. They were climbing steep, rough hills. Some of them seemed made all of rock, with a little earth lying in spots. Great rocks hung out from them, with trees growing in their cracks. Some big pieces had broken off and rolled down the hill. Thor broke them, Olaf said. He rides through the sky and hurls his hammer at clouds and at mountains. 
that makes the thunder and the lightning and cracks the hills. His hammer never misses its aim, and it always comes back to his hand and is eager to go again. When they reached the top of the hill, they looked back. Far below was a soft green valley. In front of it, the sea came up into the land and made a fjord. On each side of the fjord, high walls of rock stood up and made the water black with shadow. All around the valley were high hills with dark pines on them. Far off were the mountains. In the valley were Halfton's houses around their square yard. How little our houses look down there, Harold said. But I can almost... Yes, I can see the red dragon on the roof of the feast hall. Do you remember when I climbed up and sat on its head, Olaf? He laughed and kicked his heels and ran on. At last they came to Age's Rock and walked up on its flat top. Harold went to the edge and looked over. A ragged wall of rock reached down and 200 feet below was the black water of the fjord. Olaf watched him for a while. Then he said, No whitening of your cheek, Harold. Good. A boy that can face the fall of Age's Rock will not be afraid to face the war flash when he is a man. Ho, oh, I'm not afraid of the war flash now, cried Harold. He threw back his cape and drew a little dagger from his belt. See, he cried, does this not flash like a sword? And I am not afraid. But after all, this is a baby thing. When I am eight years old, I will have a sword. A sharp tooth of war. He swung his dagger as though it were a long sword, and he ran and sat on a rock by Olaf. Why is this age's rock? he asked. You know that Asgard is up in the sky, Olaf said. It's a wonderful city where the golden houses of the gods are in the golden grove. A high wall runs all around it. In the house of Odin, the Allfather, there is a great feast hall larger than the whole earth. Its name is Valhalla. It has five hundred doors. The rafters are spears. The roof is thatched with shields. Armour lies on the benches. In the high seat sits Odin, a golden helmet on his head, a spear in his hand. Two wolves lie at his feet. At his right hand and his left sit all the gods and goddesses, and around the hall sit thousands and thousands of men, all the brave ones that have ever died. Now it is good to be in Valhalla, for there is meat there better than men can brew, and it never runs out and there are scalds that sing wonderful songs that men never heard. And before the doors of Valhalla is a great meadow where the warriors fight every day and get glorious and sweet wounds and give many. And all night they feast and their wounds heal. But none may go to Valhalla except warriors that have died bravely in battle. Men who die from sickness go with women and children and cowards to Niflheim. There, Hela, who is queen, 
always sneers at them, and a terrible cold takes hold of their bones, and they sit down and freeze. Years ago, Aegir was a great warrior. Aegir the Big-Handed, they called him. In many a battle, his sword had swung, and he sent many warriors to Valhalla. Many swords had bit into his flesh and left marks there, but never a one had struck him to death. So his hair grew white and his arms thin. There was peace in that country then, and Aegir sorrowed, saying, I am old, battles are still. Must I die in bed like a woman? Shall I not see Valhalla? Now thus did Odin say long ago, If a man is old and is come near death and cannot die in fight, let him find death in some brave way, and he shall feast with me in Valhalla. So one day Aegir came to this rock. A deed to win Valhalla, he cried. Then he drew his sword and flashed it over his head and held his shield high above him and leaped out into the air and died in the water of the fjord. Ho! cried Harold, jumping to his feet. I think that Odin stood up before his high seat and welcomed that man gladly when he walked through the door of Valhalla. So the songs say, replied Olaf, for schools still sing of that deed all over Norway. Olaf's Farm At another time, Harold asked, What is your country, Olaf? Have you always been a thrall? The thrall's eyes flashed. When you are a man, he said, and go a Viking to Denmark, ask men whether they ever heard of Olaf the Crafty. There, far off, is my country, across the water. My father was Goodbrand the Big, Two hundred warriors feasted in his hall and followed him to battle. Ten sons sat at meat with him, and I was the youngest. One day he said, You are all grown to be men. There is not elbow room here for so many chiefs. The eldest of you shall have my farm when I die. The rest of you, off a Viking. He had three ships. These he gave to three of my brothers, but I stayed that spring and built me a boat. I made her for only twenty oars because I thought few men would follow me, for I was young, fifteen years old. I made her in the likeness of a dragon. At the prow I carved the head with an open mouth and forked tongue. I painted the eyes red for anger. There, stand so, I said, and glare and hiss at my foes. In the stern, I carved the tail up almost as high as the head. There I put the pilot's seat and a strong tiller for the rudder. On the breast and sides, I carved the dragon's scales. Then I painted it all black, and on the tip of every scale, I put gold. I called her Wave Runner. There she sat on the rollers, as fair a ship as I ever saw. The night that it was finished, I went to my father's feast. 
after the meats were eaten and the mead horns came round, I stood up from my bench and raised my drinking horn high and spoke with a great voice. This is my vow. I will sail to Norway and I will harry the coast and fill my boat with riches. Then I will get me a farm and will winter in that land. Now who will follow me? He is but a boy, the men said. He has opened his mouth wider than he can do. But others jumped to their feet with their mead horns in their hands. Thirty men, one after another, raised their horns and said, I will follow this lad, and I will not turn back so long as he and I live. On the next morning, we got into my dragon and started. I sat high in the pilot's seat. As our boat flashed down the rollers into the water, I made this song and sang it. The dragon runs. Where will she steer? Where swords will sing, where spears will bite, where I shall laugh. So we harried the coast of Norway. We ate at many men's tables uninvited. Many men we found overburdened with gold. Then I said, My dragon's belly is never full, and on board went the gold. Oh, it is better to live on the sea and let other men raise your crops and cook your meals. A house smells of smoke, a ship smells of frolic. From a house you see a sooty roof, from a ship you see Valhalla. Up and down the water we went to get much wealth and much frolic. After a while, my men said, What of the farm, Olaf? Not yet, I answered. A Viking is better for summer. When the ice comes and our dragon cannot play, then we will get our farm and sit down. At last the winter came, and I said to my men, Now for the farm. I have my eye on one up the coast away in King Halfdan's country. So we set off for it. We landed late at night and pulled our boat up on shore and walked quietly to the house. It was rather a wealthy farm, for there were stables and a storehouse and a smithy at the sides of the house. There was but one door to the house. We went to it and I struck it with my spear. Hello? Ho! Hello! I shouted, and my men made a great din. At last, someone from inside said, Who calls? I call, I answered. Open, or you will think it Thor who calls. And I struck my shield against the door so that it made a great clanging. The door opened only a little, but I pushed it wide and leaped into the room. It was so dark that I could see nothing but a few sparks on the hearth. I stood with my back to the wall, for I wanted no sword reaching out of the dark for me. Now, start up the fire, I said. Come, come, I called. When no one obeyed, a fire. This is cold welcome for your guests. My men laughed. Yes, a stingy host. He acts as though he had not expected us. 
But now the farmer was blowing on the coals and putting on fresh wood. Soon it blazed up and we could see about us. We were in a little feast hall. We were in a little feast hall with its fire down the middle of it. There were benches for twenty men along each side. The farmer crouched by the fire, afraid to move. On a bench in a far corner were a dozen people huddled together. Ho, thralls, I called to them. Bring in the table, we are hungry. Off they ran through a door at the back of the hall. My men came in and lay down by the fire and warmed themselves, but I said two of them, as guards on the door. Well, friend farmer, laughed one, why such a long face? Do you not think we shall be merry company? We only came to cheer you, said another. What man wants to spend the winter with no guests? Ah, another then cried out, sitting up, here comes something that will be a welcome guest to my stomach. The thralls were bringing in a great pot of meat, they set up a crane over the fire and hung the pot upon it. And we sat and watched it boil while we joked. At last the supper began. The farmer sat gloomily on the bench and would not eat. And you cannot wonder, for he saw us putting potfuls of his good beef and basket loads of bread into our big mouths. When the tables were taken out and the mead horns came round, I stood up and raised my horn, and said to the farmer, You would not eat with us. You cannot say no to half of my ale. I drink this to your health. Then I drank half of the hornful, and sent the rest across the fire to the farmer. He took it, and smiled, saying, Since it is to my health, I will drink it. I thought that all this night's work would be my death. Oh, do not fear that, I laughed for a dead man sets no tables. So we drank and all grew merrier. At last I stood up and said, I like this little taste of your hospitality, friend farmer. I have decided to accept more of it. My men roared with laughter. Come, they cried, thank him for that, farmer. Did you ever have such a lordly guest before? I went on. Now there is no fun in having guests unless they keep you company and make you merry. So I will give out this law, that my men shall never leave you alone. Hakon there shall be your constant companion, friend farmer. He shall not leave you day or night, whether you are working or playing or sleeping. Leaf and Grim shall be the same kind of friends to your two sons. I named nine others and said, and these shall follow your thralls in the same way. Now, am I not careful to make your time go merrily? So I set guards over every one in that house. Not once all winter did they stir out of sight of some of us. So no tales got to the neighbours. Besides, it was a lonely place, and by good luck no one came that way. Oh, it was fat and easy living. Well, after we'd been there for a long time, Hakon came to the feast one night and said, I heard a cuckoo today. It's the call to go a Viking, I said. All my men put their hands to their mouths and shouted. Their eyes danced. Big Thorleaf stood up and stretched himself. 
I am stiff with long sitting, he said. I itch for a fight. I turned to the farmer. This is our last feast with you, I said. Well, he laughed, this has been the busiest winter I ever spent, and the merriest. May good luck go with you. By the beard of Odin, I cried, you have taken our joke like a man. My men pounded the table with their fists. By the hammer of Thor, shouted Grimm, here is no stingy coward. He is a man fit to carry my drinking horn, the horn of a sea rover and a sword swinger. Here, friend, take it. And he thrust it into the farmer's hand. May you drink your heart's ease from it for many years, and with it I leave you a name. Sif, the friendly. I shall hope to drink with you sometime in Valhalla. Then all my men poured around that farmer and clapped him on the shoulder and piled things upon him, saying, Here's a ring for Sif the Friendly, and here is a bracelet. A sword would not be ashamed to hang at your side. I took five great bracelets of gold from our treasure chest and gave them to him. The old man's eyes opened wide at all these things, and at the same time he laughed. May Odin send me such guests every winter, he said. Early next morning we shook hands with our host and boarded the wave runner and sailed off. Where shall we go, my men asked. Let the gods decide, I said, and tossed up my spear. When it fell on the deck, it pointed up shore, so I steered in that direction. That is the best way to decide, for the spear will always point somewhere and one thing is as good as another. That time it pointed us into your father's ships. They closed in battle with us and killed my men and sunk my ship and dragged me off a prisoner. They were three against one, or they might have tasted something more bitter at our hands. They took me before King Halfdan. Here, they said, is a rascal who has been harrying our coasts. We sunk his ship and men, but we brought him to you. A robber viking, said the king, and scowled at me. I threw back my head and laughed. Yes, and with all your fingers it took you a year to catch me. The king frowned more angrily. Saucy do, he said. Well, thieves must die. Take him out, Thorkel, and let him taste your sword. Your mother, the queen, was standing by. Now she put her hand on his arm and smiled and said, He is only a lad. Let him live, and would he not be a good gift for our baby? Your father thought a moment, then looked at your mother and smiled. Soft heart, he said gently to her, then to Thorkel. Well, let him go, Thorkel. Then he turned to me again, frowning. But, young sharp tongue, now that we have caught you, we will put you into a trap that you cannot get out of. Weld an iron collar on his neck. So I lived, and now I am your tooth thrall. Well, it is the luck of war, but by the chair of Odin I kept my vow. Yes, cried Harold, jumping to his feet, and had a joke into the bargain. Ah, some time I will make a brave vow like that. Olaf's Fight with Havard At another time, Harold said, Tell me of a fight, Olaf. 
I want to hear about the music of swords. Olaf's eyes blazed. I will tell you of our fight with King Havard, he said. One dark night, we had landed at a farm. We left our wave runner in the water with three men to guard her. The rest of us went into the house. The farmer met us at the door, but he died by Thorkel's sword. The others we shut into their beds. The door at each end of the hall we had barred on the inside so nobody could surprise us. We were busy going through the cupboards and shouting our good luck, but suddenly we heard a shout outside. Thor and Havard! Then there was a great beating at the doors. He has two hundred fighters with him, said Grim, for we saw his ships last night. Thirty against two hundred. We shall all drink in Valhalla tonight. Well, I cried, Odin shall have no unwilling guest in me. Nor in me, cried Hakon. Nor in me, shouted Thorkel. And that shout went all around, and we drew our swords and caught up our shields. Hot work is ahead of us, said Hakon. Besides, we must leave none of this mead for Havard. Lend a hand, someone. Then he and another pulled out a great tub that sat on the floor of the cupboard. I drink to Valhalla tonight, cried Thorkel the Thirsty, and he plunged his horn deep into the tub. When he brought it up, his sleeve was dripping, and the sweet mead was running over from the horn. Sloven, cried Hakon, and he struck Thorkel with his fist and knocked him over into the cupboard. He fell against the wooden wall at the back, and a carved panel swung open behind him. He dropped down head first. In a minute, he put his head out of the hole again. We all stood staring. I think it's a secret passage, he said. We will try it, I answered in a whisper. Throw dirt on the fire. It must be dark. So we dug up dirt from the earth floor and smothered the fire. All this time there was a terrible shouting and hammering at the doors, but they were of heavy logs and stood. I, with four more, will guard this door, I said, pointing to the east end. Immediately four men stepped to my side. And I will guard the other, Akon said, and four went with him. The rest of you down the hole, I said, close the door after you. If luck is with us, we will meet at the ships. Now, Thor and our good swords help us. Quick, the doors are giving way. So we ten men stood at the doors and held back the king's soldiers. It was dark in the room, and the people out of doors could not tell how many were inside. Few were eager to be the first in. Thirty swords are waiting in there to eat up the first man, we heard someone say. We chuckled at that. But the king stood in the very doorway and fought. Our five swords held him back for a long time, but at last he pushed in, and his men poured after him. We ran back and hid behind some tubs in a dark corner. The king's men went groping about and calling, but they did not find us. The room was full of shouting and running and sword clashing, for in the dark and the noise the men could not tell their own soldiers. 
more than one fell by his friend's sword. When it was less crowded about the doorway, I whispered, Follow me in double line. We will make for the ships. Keep close together. So that double line of men, with swords swinging from both sides, ran out through the dark. Swords struck out at us and we struck back. Men ran after us shouting, but our legs were as good as theirs. But I and Hakon and one other were all that reached the ship. There we saw our wave runner with sail up and bow pointing to open sea. We swam out to her and climbed aboard. Then the men swung the sail to the wind and we moved off. Even as we went, a spear whizzed through the air and Hakon fell dead, for the king and all his men were running to the shore. After them, they were shouting. Then we heard the king call to the men in his boats lying out in the water. Row to shore and take us in. Thorkel was standing by my side. At that he laughed and said, They do not answer. They left but a handful to guard his ships. They tasted our swords, and we went aboard and broke the oars and threw the sails into the water. It will be slow going for Havard tonight. Then he turned to the shore and sang out loudly, King Havard's ships are dead. Olaf's dragon flies. King Havard stamps the shore. Olaf skims the waves. King Havard shakes his fist. Olaf turns and laughs. And that was the end of our meeting with King Havard. Foes Fear Every day the boy Harold heard some such story of war or of the gods, until he could see Thor riding among the storm clouds and throwing his hammer. Until he knew that a brave man has many wounds but never a one on his back. Many nights he dreamed that he himself walked into Valhalla and that all the heroes stood up and shouted, Welcome, Harold Halfdanson. Ah, the bite of the sword is sweeter than the kiss of your mother, he said to Olaf one day. When shall I stand on the prow of a dragon and feast on the fight? I am hungry to see the world. Ivar the Fargoer tells me of the strange countries he has seen. Ah, we Vikings are great folk. There is no water that has not licked our boat's sides. This cape of mine came in a Viking boat from France. These cloak pins came from a far country called Greece. In my father's house are golden cups from Rome, away on the southern sea. Every land pours rich things into our treasure chest. Ivar has been to a strange country where it is all sand and is very hot. The people call their country Arabia. They have never heard of Thor or Odin. Ivar brought back beautiful striped cloth from there and wonderful sweet-smelling waters. Oh, when shall the white horses of the sea lead me out to strange lands and glorious battles? But Harold did something besides listen to stories. Every morning he was up at sunrise and went with a thrall to feed the hunting dogs. Thorstein taught him to swim in the rough waters of the fjord. Often 
he went with the men a-hunting in the woods, and learned to ride a horse, and pull a bow, and throw a lance. Ivar taught him to play the harp and to make up songs. He went much to the smithy, where warriors mended their helmets and made their spears and swords of iron and bronze. At first, he only watched the men, or worked the bellows, but soon he could handle the tongs and hold the red-hot iron, and after a long time he learned to use the hammer and to shape metal. One day he made himself a spearhead. It was two feet long and sharp on both edges. While the iron was hot, he beat into it some runes. When the men in the smithy saw the runes, they opened their eyes wide and looked at the boy, for few Norsemen could read. What does it say? they asked. It is the name of my spear point, and it says, Foe's fear, said Harold. But now for a handle. It was winter and the snow was very deep. So Harold put on his skis and started for a wood that was back from shore. Down the mountains he went, twenty, thirty feet at a slide, leaping over chasms a hundred feet across. In his scarlet cloak he looked like a flash of fire. The wind shot past him howling, his eyes danced at the fun. It's like flying, he thought and laughed. I'm an eagle. Now I saw, as he leaped over a frozen river. He saw a slender ash growing on top of a high rock. That is the handle for foe's fear, he said. The rock stood up like a ragged tower, but he did not stop because of the steep climb. He threw off his skis and thrust his hands and feet into holes of the rock and drew himself up. He tore his jacket and cut his leather leggings and scratched his face and bruised his hands. But at last, he was on the top. Soon, he had chopped down the tree and had cut a straight pole ten feet long and as big around as his arm. He went down, sliding and jumping and tearing himself on the sharp stones. With a last leap, he landed near his skis. As he did so, a lean wolf jumped and snapped at him, snarling. Harold shouted and swung his pole. The wolf dodged, but quickly jumped again and caught the boy's arm between his sharp teeth. Harold thought of the spear point in his belt. In a wink, he had it out and was striking with it. He drove it into the wolf's neck and threw him back on the snow, dead. You were the first to feel the tooth of foe's fear, he said, but I think you will not be the last. Then... Without thinking of his torn arm, he put on his skis and went leaping home. He went straight to the smithy and smoothed his pole and drove it into the haft of his spear point. He hammered out a gold band and put it around the joining place. He made nails with beautiful heads and drove them into the pole in different places. If it is heavy, it will strike hard, he said. Then... He weighed the spear in his hand and found the balancing point and put another gold band there to mark it. Thorstein came in while he was working. A good spear, he said. Then he saw the torn sleeve and the red wound beneath. Hello, he cried. Your first wound? Oh, it is only a wolf scratch, Harold answered. 
By Thor, cried Thornstein, I see that you are ready for better wounds. You bear this like a warrior. I think it will not be my last, Harold said. Harold is king. Now, when Harold was ten years old, his father, King Halfdan, died. An old book that tells about Harold says that then he was the biggest of all men, the strongest and the fairest to look upon. That about a boy ten years old. But boys grew fast in those days, for they were out of doors all the time, running, swimming, leaping on skis and hunting in the forest. And that makes big, manly boys. So now King Halfdan was dead and buried, and Harold was to be king. But first, he must drink his father's funeral ale. Take down the gay tapestries that hang in the feast hall, he said to the thralls. Put up black and grey ones. Strew the floor with pine branches. Brew twenty tubs of fresh ale and mead. Scour every dish until it shines. Then Harold sent messengers all over that country to his kinsmen and friends. Bid them come in three months' time to drink my father's funeral ale, he said. Tell them that no one shall go away empty-handed. So in three months, men came riding up at every hour. Some came in boats, but many had ridden far through mountains, swimming rivers, for there were few roads or bridges in Norway. On account of that hard ride, no women came to the feast. At nine o'clock in the night, the feast began. The men came walking in at the west end of the hall. The great bonfires down the middle of the room were flashing light on everything. The clean smell of this wood smoke and of the pine branches on the floor was pleasant to the guests. Down each side of the hall stretched long, backless benches with room for three hundred men. In the middle of each side rose the high seat and a great carved chair on a platform. All along behind the benches were the black and grey draperies. Here hung the shields of the guests, for every man, when he was given his place, turned and hung his shield behind him and set his tall spear by it. So on each wall there was a long row of gay shields, red and green and yellow, and all shining with gold or bronze trimmings. And higher up there was another row of gleaming spear points. Above the hall all the rafters were carved and gaily painted, so that dragons seemed to be crawling across or eagles seemed to be swooping down. The guests walked in laughing and talking with their big voices so that the rafters rang. They made the hall look all the brighter with their clothes of scarlet and blue and green, with their flashing golden bracelets and headbands and sword scabbards, with their flying hair of red or yellow. Across the east end of the hall was a bench. When the men were all in, the queen, Harold's mother, and the women who lived with her walked in through the east door and sat upon this bench. Then thralls came running in and set up the long tables before the benches. Other thralls ran in with large steaming kettles of meat. They put big pieces of this meat onto platters of wood and set it before the men. They had a few dishes of silver. These they put before the guests at the middle of the tables, 
for the great people sat here near the high seats. When the meat came, the talking stopped, for Norsemen ate only twice a day, and these men had long rides and were hungry. Three or four persons ate from one platter and drank from the same big bowl of milk. They had no forks, so they ate from their fingers and threw the bones under the table among the pine branches. Sometimes they took knives from their belts to cut the meat. When the guests sat back satisfied, Harold called to the thralls, Carry out the tables. So they did, and brought in two great tubs of mead and set one at each end of the hall. Then the queen stood up and called some of her women. They went to the mead tubs. They took the horns, when the thralls had filled them, and carried them to the men with some merry word. Perhaps one woman said as she handed a man his horn, This horn has no feet to be set down upon. You must drink it at one draught. Perhaps another said, Mead loves a merry face. The women were beautiful, moving about the hall. The queen wore a trailing dress of blue velvet with long flowing sleeves. She had a short apron of striped Arabian silk with gold fringe along the bottom. From her shoulders hung a long train of scarlet wool embroidered in gold. White linen covered her head. Her long yellow hair was pulled around at the sides and over her breast and was fastened under the belt of her apron. As she walked, her train made a pleasant rustle among the pine branches. She was tall and straight and strong. Some of her younger women wore no linen on their heads and had their white arms bare, with bracelets shining on them. They too were tall and strong. All the time, men were calling across the fire to one another, asking news or telling jokes and laughing. An old man, Harold's uncle, sat in the high seat on the north side. That was the place of honour. But the high seat on the south side was empty, for that was the king's seat. Harold sat on the steps before it. The feast went merrily until long after midnight. Then the thralls took some of the guests to the guest house to sleep, and some to the beds around the sides of the feast hall. But some men lay down on the benches and drew their cloaks over themselves. On the next night there was another feast. Still Harold sat on the step before the high seat, but when the tables were gone and the horns were going around, he stood up and raised high a horn of ale and said loudly, This horn of memory I drink in honour of my father, Hafton, son of Goodrod, who sits now in Valhalla, and I vow that I will grind my father's foes under my heel. Then he drank the ale and sat down in the king's high seat, while all the men stood up and raised their horns and shouted, King Harold! And some cried, That was a brave vow. And Harold's uncle called out, A health to King Harold! And they all drank it. Then a man stood up and said, Hear my song of King Halfdan, for this man was a skald. Yes, the song, shouted the men, and Harold nodded his head. So the skull took down his great harp from the wall behind him and went and stood before Harold. The bottom of the harp rested on the floor, 
but the top reached as high as the scald's shoulders. The brass frame shone in the light. The strings were some of gold and some of silver. The man struck them with his hand and sang of King Halfdan, of his battles, of his strong arm and good sword, of his death, and of how men loved him. When he had finished, King Harold took a bracelet from his arm and gave it to him, saying, Take this as thanks for your good song. The guests stayed the next day, and at night there was another feast. When the mead horns were going around, King Harold stood up and spoke, I said that no man should go away empty-handed from drinking my father's funeral ale. He beckoned the thralls, and they brought in a great treasure chest and set it down by the high seat. King Harold opened it and took out rich gifts, capes and sword belts and beautiful cloth and bracelets and gold cloak pins. These he sent about the hall and gave something to every man. The guests wondered at the richness of his gifts. This young king has an open hand, they said, and deep treasure chests. After breakfast the next morning, the guests went out and stood by their horses ready to go. But before they mounted, thralls brought a horn of mead to each man. That was called the stirrup horn, because after they drank it, the men put their feet to the stirrups and sprang upon their horses and started. King Harold and his people rode a little way with them. All men said that this was the richest funeral feast that ever was held. The end of part one. Good night.